I almost missed a phenomenal opportunity this last week. I don't know how you deal with what you sense is God's promptings in your life. Um, I'm no expert on how God leads and directs, and I find myself, frankly, often confused. Uh, there's been times in my life when I've sensed that God was prompting me to do something, and I ignored it and was sorry. And I've had other experiences where I sensed that God was prompting me, and I ignored it and then responded and turned around. And so, at a graveside service, at the cemetery, I was just drawn to go talk to Phil. Phil and I have talked often, and we share a common interest in cycling, so we usually talk cycling. And, but this time was different. I went to talk to Phil and asked how he was doing and discovered that uh, he's on dialysis. Kidneys are working about 26%, something like that. And uh, so I had an opportunity in that conversation to pray for him and uh, pray for his family, pray for his response to what's going on in his life. And, uh, but it was an opportunity I almost missed. And in the midst of that opportunity and reflecting on it, I found myself thinking back to where we were last Sunday. Last Sunday, you may recall, I never assume you do, but you may. Last Sunday, we looked at the leper's story as the leper came to Jesus at the end of chapter 1. And we're going to come back and read that passage again. Because there's a key phrase in there that's been kind of chewing on me this week. And God has just kind of opened my eyes, spoken to me through the scriptures. And so I'm going to, what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of drag you through where I've been uh, this week in the scriptures. As I responded again to the story, the leper's story. And I want you to come with me again this morning to Mark chapter 1. And captured in the middle of this, of this passage is a simple phrase that we're going to kind of camp on a little bit this morning. And a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer public, publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. And I said there's a little phrase in this passage that's been speaking to me this week. And oftentimes in Bible study, I'll ask a group, what, what do you think is the most important word in this passage? Or I might say, what do you think is the most important phrase in this passage? What jumps out of this passage? That's a question I frequently ask. And so you might respond with a whole bunch of different responses. I'm going to hear them in just a second. So if you were to pick one word or one phrase out of here that you think is the most important phrase or word in this passage, what would it be? I will. I touched. What else? Compassion. Yeah, well, you read my sermon title probably. Um, and so the, the phrase that has been kind of hammering on me is the words moved with compassion. Why is that so striking to me? <laughs> Multiple reasons. Um, it would be one thing for Jesus to feel compassion for a variety of different things. But this passage makes a point that he's moved with compassion toward who? A leper. Now, if a leper were to approach you or to approach me, what we would experience is someone with most of their body covered... Face partially viewable, hands probably viewable. But what we would see on exposed skin would be scales, scabs, rashes, spots. If we paid closer attention, we might notice that there were pieces missing of ears and nose and lips and fingers. And if a person like this were to approach you, what would your response be? I'll tell you what my response would be. I would find that pretty repulsive. I would find myself wanting to distance myself from that. But our Jesus was what? 
moved with compassion. I believe that God wants more passion for Him and compassion for people in my life. And I suspect for many of you, God wants more passion for Him and more compassion for others. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. Compassion for God, compassion for people. And if you were to take your dictionary or look on your phone and look up dictionary.com, you would find the word compassion is kind of two words put together. The word C-O-M, com, which means together or with. And the word passion, with passion, together. Passion together. Well, when you and I hear the word passion, because we've been uh, trained by Hollywood, we hear the word passion, what do we think of? Love and two love-struck people. Well, the word passion also has the meaning of suffering. The last week of Jesus' life is often called what? Passion week. And there's a lot of love in that last week in Jesus' life, I agree. But the whole point of the phrase passion week is that was the week of his suffering, his death. And so the idea of our English word compassion is to suffer together, to suffer with, to enter into the struggles, difficulties, challenges, suffering of others. The New Testament word that's translated here, compassion, I told you last week, is a word that speaks of the internal organs, the spleen, the, the intestines, the bowels. And the idea of this word is, it's a very visceral term. The guts are in motion, emotional activity going on. Jesus was moved with compassion. He entered into the suffering of other people. Some of you do that really well. Me, not so much. Honest. Um, I find oftentimes I don't have a truckload of compassion. And I value and appreciate the fact that many others do. Many of you right here uh, are much, much better at compassion. But as I read this passage and I reflect on Jesus' compassion for this, this leper... It strikes me that God's ambition is that every follower of Jesus, every follower of Jesus, would demonstrate a Christ-like compassion toward others. And so I found myself kind of asking myself, so how how come I don't have as much compassion as others seem to? Maybe it's a lack of teaching. Maybe it's a lack of models. Um, Maybe it's a lack. Maybe what? what, (laughs) Sometimes I think what it boils down to is I, and maybe I can say we to take a little pressure off of me. We oftentimes are pretty self-centered. We're oftentimes pretty self-focused. Am I the only one in the room that admits that? That's okay. Um, Have you ever heard the phrase, hey, it's not all about you? Yeah, I'm told that every once in a while. It's not all about you, Roy. And so this whole thing of compassion and Jesus touching this leper that I would feel repulsed and repelled from speaks to me to this truth that God's ambition, God's desire for you and for me is that we would demonstrate a Christ-like compassion for others. And so I want you to, we're going to look at several scriptures this morning, because as I was going through the scriptures and looking for passages that talked about compassion, and I was looking for examples and models and verses that addressed compassion, the first, thing that imp- in, the first thing that impressed me, and this should be no surprise to you, is that Jesus consistently models compassion. And if you're reading through the Gospels with me this year, by the way, we just started over. Today's the second of the month. So on the second day of the month, if you're reading three chapters a day, so on the second day of the month, you would be reading Matthew chapters 4, 5, and 6. There you go. 
And so, but if you're reading through the Gospels with me, and this is a good time to jump back in if you aren't, or to get started if you haven't. But if you're reading through the Gospels, one of the things you're going to discover if you're paying attention is that Jesus consistently demonstrates compassion. In Matthew chapter 14, in Matthew's description of the feeding of the 5,000, here's all these people gathered on this hillside. The scripture says there were 5,000 men. The assumption is those men, many of them had wives and children that would have been there. So that number of 5,000 could have been, I don't know, you pick a number that does math for you, fifteen to 20,000, it sounds like kind of a comfortable group to me. Um, I can't imagine speaking to a crowd that loud without any amplification, but that apparently Jesus could, right? And so these people have been here with Jesus. He's teaching them, and now the time has gone by. It's late afternoon. It's early evening. And the disciples are telling Jesus what? Send those people home. It's time to go home for dinner. Send them out of here. Well, Jesus had a different plan. What was his plan? We're going to feed them. Why? Did Jesus want to feed him? If you read your Bible carefully, there's a little phrase that says Jesus felt compassion for the multitude. And he wanted to feed him. And so you have the multitude and their whole agenda is signs and miracles and healing, right? And then you have the disciples and their whole agenda is what? Send them home. What's Jesus' agenda? Meet their needs. Take care of them. Why was that his agenda? Compassion. You go one more chapter into into Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15, the feeding of the 4,000. It's the same story again. The fewer people, but it's the same deal. Jesus feels compassion, and as a result of that, what's he do? He feeds them. And so as you, as you make your way through the Gospels, there's all these, these examples, these, these illustrations. In Luke chapter 7 is a story. Jesus is walking into a city, the city of Nain. And as he's going into the city, there's a funeral procession coming out. And uh, that funeral procession is a, a young man who's passed away. His mother is a widow. And so a widow in that culture has no husband and now has not a son And so she lacks protection and provision. And Jesus encounters this funeral procession, and what's he do? Stops the funeral procession. Can you imagine walking out here in the middle of Studebaker and stopping a hearse as it's going? (laughs) And so here's the situation, and Jesus restores life to this woman's son, returns him to her. Why did he do that? Compassion. Scripture says he felt compassion in matthew chapter 20 there's a story of two blind men they're on the side of the road near jericho and jesus is passing through jericho and these two blind guys hear that jesus is passing by and so they're calling out to jesus jesus son of david have mercy another good word for compassion by the word the m word mercy And it says that Jesus touched their eyes and healed them. Why did he do that? Compassion. It says right there in the text, he felt compassion. These examples go on and on and on. And you see Jesus consistently modeling compassion. Jesus deeply cared about people, their physical condition and spiritual condition. And that's why when you, you come to a passage like Matthew 9, in this, what I call a classic text of Jesus' heart, it says at the end of Matthew chapter 9, and verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people... He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited. If you have the ESV or the uh, NIV this morning, I think it says harassed and helpless. 
He saw them as harassed and helpless, distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And that's, that's quite a metaphor, the sheep without the shepherd meta- metaphor. Sheep need a shepherd. You could be a rancher with a herd of horses. They don't need you. They, they don't, they're not dependent on you to take care of them. Kind of the same thing with cows, unless you're milking them. You know, they're pretty self-sufficient. Sheep are different. Sheep have these little tiny legs. So what's their defense against predators like a lion, coyote, wolf? What's, what's their defense? All they got is those legs. They're going to run. How fast can you run on those short little legs? Not very fast and not very far. They need a shepherd to protect them. When sheep are thirsty and need water, they're afraid of water that's in motion. They won't drink from a a flowing river. They need a calm, quiet pond to drink from. How are they going to find that calm, quiet pond to drink from? Shepherd is going to take them there. Sheep need a shepherd. Sheep get hungry. And what sheep do is they eat what's under their feet, and then they're done. They don't know how to forage. They don't know how to go hunt for food. You know, cows and horses, they're good to go. Sheep don't know how to do that. So... When a sheep is looking for green grass, fresh green grass to eat, how's it going to find that food? Shepherd. That's why if you read Psalm 23 and you read about still water and green pastures, you understand sheep need a shepherd. And so Jesus says, he looks at the multitude, and when he looks at the multitude, there's compassion. Because he sees people as they really are. He doesn't see people like you and I do. When you and I look at people, we see their, their designer clothes, their Air Jordans. I don't have Air Jordans. I have New Balance. Uh, we see their uh, Armani shirts. Their, you know, all, all, we see their designer clothing. We see their nice cars, their nice homes. And what we miss is the reality of people's lives is they really are what? Sheep without a shepherd. Distressed, dispirited, harassed and helpless. And so Jesus models for me compassion. And I'm grateful for people in my life who model compassion. And I admire that. But God does not call me to admire compassion. He calls me to do what? Have compassion. Be compassionate. And so as I've reflected on the scriptures and Jesus being moved with compassion and touching the leopard, the leper, not leopard, the first thing that impressed me was Jesus consistently models compassion. First of the year, I called you to a year-long challenge And you may have forgotten, that's why this is up here every Sunday, our year-long challenge to follow Jesus. And you've heard me say multiple times in the last, this is May, four months, you've heard me say multiple times that I believe God wants us to learn to love Jesus a little more deeply, serve Him a little more faithfully, follow Him a little more diligently. That's That's what God wants in your life and my life. And so when I look at the Scriptures and I say, Jesus consistently models compassion for me. What's God calling into my life for? Be be compassionate. Have compassion for people. God God wants you and me to be people who demonstrate Christ-like compassion. The second thought that has struck me this week as I've been reflecting on compassion is not only that Jesus consistently models compassion... But God consistently calls me to compassion. It's not just something to read about and be excited that it was true in Jesus' life or to admire it in someone else's life. God calls me 
to be a person of compassion. And, and so there, there's multiple scriptures that, that speak to this. And um, j- just a few. Uh, in Psalm 111, Psalm 112, each of those has the phrase, The Lord is gracious and compassionate. Um, but Exodus 34, 6 is an interesting passage. In Exodus 34, 6, if you remember the story, Moses, this is prior to this chapter, Moses has gone up on the mountain. God has given him the Ten Commandments on two stone tablets. Moses has returned down the mountain to encounter what? A party. What was the focus of the party? Golden calf. And Moses' response to the party and the golden calf was what? Threw down the tablets and broke them. And so here in chapter 34, God tells Moses, you know, forget my tablets. You go make two stone stone tablets, bring them to me, and I'll put the Ten Commandments back up. This is Roy's paraphrase, right? You you understand. And uh, in that conversation with Moses about these new tablets, in Exodus 34, 6, and you've got it up here in front of you, God says, The Lord God, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. What was Moses ready to do with all the party goers? Off with their heads. And aren't you glad we have a God who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth? Are you glad for that this morning? I sure am. I sure am. Our God is a compassionate God, and, and, and I'm grateful. Um, another passage in Psalm 78:38, which is a fascinating psalm. If you read this psalm, it, it, it's recounting the history of Israel. And, and the whole history of Israel is summarized by the fact that they disobeyed him, they didn't remember him, they didn't do what he said. And, and, and here in, in verse 38 of Psalm 78, uh, it simply says this, He... Our God, our God, your God and my God, He, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity, did not destroy them, and often restrained His anger. Then I like this phrase, He remembered they are but flesh. <laughs> I remember when we were raising our kids, there were times when I would just get a little upset with my, my children. I'm sure I'm the only father that's experienced that. Um, and I, I would just be so frustrated and so upset. And my, my wife had this thing she did where she'd say, remember, they're just flesh. They're just flesh. So she used this passage and beat me up with it for a number of years. Um, but I'm glad that's true of my God. He's compassionate. He remembers I'm just flesh. Just flesh. Um, then Lamentations 3.21 is another classic verse on this theme. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions, what? Never fail. Never fail. They are new every morning. Aren't you glad for that? His mercies, His compassion are new every morning. The word compassion here in Lamentations is a fascinating word. Um, it's kind of a medical term, sort of, kind of. Um, the, the root idea of the word is to fondle. And it was used of the, the mother's womb nurturing and caring for the fetus, the baby, as it grew and developed. Fondle, nourish, care, compassion. That's our God. His compassions are new, fresh, every morning. Our God. Compassion is a core quality in the character of God. He's full of compassion, mercy, loving kindness. And he calls me to be just like him. The scriptures say over and over again, there's, in fact it was in one of our songs this morning, um, but it talks about our God being full, rich in mercy, full of compassion. When something's full, this is kind of my take on this, when something's full, what, what, what happens? You know, you, you fill your coffee cup, any of you ever fill your coffee cup too full and you walk to where you're going to sit down and it's slopping over the sides? Um, I hate that when it happens on the carpet, on the other floor it's not too bad. But I think of our God being full of compassion and, and kind of spilling over. 
kind of spilling over. Our God is full of compassion. He calls me to be a person of compassion. Not only is compassion a core quality in the character of God, but it's an essential ingredient. (laughs) It's an essential requirement for the people of God. He requires me to be compassionate. Now, you know, normally I kind of push back against when someone's requiring me to do something, you know. Ask me to do something, but require me. There's, there's just something inside of me that kind of rebels against that, being required to do something, right? I'm the only one in the room like that, I can tell. Um, but there's, there's these verses, um, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, God says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And Jesus quotes this verse twice. You'll find it as you read through the Gospels with me. You'll find it, in fact, this next week, twice. Jesus quotes this passage twice. And when Jesus quotes this passage, He says, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. That's what our God desires. And then Micah 6.8, this is the kicker one. What does the Lord require of you? Ooh, require. He requires of me to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with my God. To love kindness, compassion. Do I love compassion? Do I love kindness? Not always. There's times when I struggle to be compassionate. I struggle to care at all. And my God says to me, what, what do I require of you? Do justice, love kindness. Colossians 3.12 captures it well. Colossians 3.12 says this, As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved... Anybody qualify? Chosen of God? Holy beloved? You qualify? Okay. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Put on a heart of compassion. And if you think about that phrase for a minute, put on a heart of compassion. As I read that, as I reflect on that, as I meditate on that, as I think about it, what impresses me is that compassion isn't something necessarily that I feel. Compassion sounds like it's something I choose to do. I choose compassion. So, how come you're wearing that shirt this morning, Tom? You like it? You had a whole closet full of shirts, but you did what with that one? It was the only clean one. one. (laughs) Killing, killing my illustration, man. Killing it. So, you know, I chose this shirt. I went to my closet this morning. Tom went to his closet. And I made a conscious choice out of all the choices there. I chose this shirt. I put on this shirt. And God says to me, through the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, in the same way I should put on compassion, heart of compassion. Compassion seems to be um, an essential requirement of God's people. God doesn't call me to admire compassion in others. He calls me to display compassion. That's tested every day. (laughs) It's tested every time I get on the freeway. You know? Yesterday I was on the freeway. I allowed myself over an hour and a half to do about a 40-minute drive between where I live up by the foothills down to North Long Beach. And I had intended to be at my brother-in-law's memorial service at about a quarter after one. Service was going to start at two. And 
for the next almost hour and a half, I was on the freeway. And I finally arrived at the service at about eight minutes to two. I wasn't real compassionate with what was going on around me. I pull into the gas station to pump my gas. And invariably, maybe I'm the only one that has this experience, but invariably there will be a homeless person who comes and asks me for money. I just don't always respond to that really well. Especially when it's the same guy that's asked me for the third time in the last week. Am I the only one that experiences that? God calls me to be a person of compassion. So I ask myself the question, how do I cultivate compassion in my life? If this is something I choose to put on, something I choose to do, then it, the implication is I need to kind of figure out how can I do better at this compassion thing. And, and maybe I'm the only one this morning that needs to do better at compassion, and I'm okay with that. So you're kind of stuck with what God's been beating me up with all week. Are you good with that? So how do I cultivate compassion in my life? The first thing I wrote down to myself is admit my callous, cynical indifference. My non-compassionate spirit. Lord, if I'm honest, I'm not very compassionate. I'm pretty cynical. Some people have the gift of mercy. Anybody here have a gift of mercy? I do not. Every spiritual gift test I've taken in the last 50 years, I don't have a gift of mercy. Thankfully, I've got a couple other gifts, I think, but mercy is not one of them. Some, some of you have the gift of mercy, and, and that's such an important, critical gift in the body of Christ. So important. And so I'm grateful that some of you have that gift. Um, others of you have had compassion modeled well for you. And so you, compassion is something that happens more readily than for me. Um, others of us have tried to be compassionate and have been burned. You ever had someone take advantage of your attempt to be compassionate? I can tell, I can tell you stories in 50 years of pastoral ministry. Um, yeah, I won't go there. Um, but I, I've, I've been burned. I've been taken advantage of. Uh, it's cost me money. And so sometimes I struggle. Lord, I, I'm, I'm kind of callous at this thing. Um, one of the mortuaries that I've done services for over the years over in Ontario has a, a sign on the, the wall that their staff sees every day. And it says this. Remember that the families we serve don't have funerals every day like we do. You have to think about that. So, admit my cynicism, my callous. I don't, I don't do compassion well, Lord. And so the second thing I wrote down then was ask God to give me compassion and make me a person of compassion. God has ways of doing that. Uh, usually what that means is um, he's going to take you through an experience and because of that experience you go through, you have more compassion for others who have a similar experience. I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. So ask God, Roy, ask God to give you compassion. The third thing on my list, soak your mind in scriptures about compassion. All the verses I've shared with you this morning. The story of the Good Samaritan, Luke 15, the story of the lost sheep and the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. Soak your heart, your mind in scriptures that talk about compassion. I've thrown some other scriptures in your sermon notes. You can look at those. Fourthly, I wrote to myself, learn to see people like Jesus did, <laughs> like they really are, harassed and helpless, harassed and helpless. See people as they really, really are. The fifth thing I wrote to myself is find contemporary models to emulate. 
Who's your model? You got, a, you got a model of compassion. My friend Deanna has for years, 25 plus years probably, um, been a model for me of compassion. Because she's been burned much, much worse than I have. She's been taken advantage of far worse than I have. And yet, she continues to be compassionate to care. She and her husband started a ministry to the homeless, and uh, they asked me to serve on their board. And uh, I watched her multiple times through the years. Compassion, compassion, compassion. And I'm with Deanna, and I'm going, no, I'm not going to help this person. I'm not going to, no, no. And she's pulling out her purse, giving money. Um, Some of you model compassion, and I see it. Um, One of the ladies in our church uh, models amazing compassion. Several ladies, actually. I'm thinking of a couple. Um, One of the men in our church models a compassion for me. And uh, he has a blind neighbor that he serves and helps, takes her to doctor's appointments, takes her shopping, uh, uses his car, his gas. And uh, it doesn't sound like it's always really easy. It's not always convenient. It doesn't sound like it's always responded to with great expressions of gratitude, but he continues compassion. And so I'm grateful for models of compassion because I need them in my life because I struggle. I struggle to have the compassion that God calls me to. And again, maybe I'm the only one in the room, but that's me. Uh, The sixth thing on my list See problems and trials as opportunities for you to learn greater compassion for others. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in the midst of our tribulation, that we may comfort others who are taken by any tribulation. And so God takes us through things in our life experience that makes us more patient or more responsive or more compassionate to people in similar straits. I had a bike crash. I know that's no surprise to you all. Um, I had a ba- bike crash ba- back in uh, January, February, uh, late January of 08. And um, I fractured my pelvis. And my doctor says I can't put any weight on my left leg for six weeks. <laughs> So I spent a few days in bed, and that that just drove me crazy. And so the doctor gave me one of these things, and I hopped around with a walker for the rest of the six weeks, everywhere I went with the walker. And um, I won't say it was the worst six weeks of my life, but it was a difficult time. I don't like to sit still. I don't like to be tied down. But one of the things I noticed after that six weeks of hopping around with my walker is I'm a lot more understanding and patient with people around me that are walking with a walker, with a cane, a wheelchair. I find myself a lot more compassionate because I've been there. I've pushed that walker. It's up in my garage, and I hope it stays there forever. God takes us through, through circumstances that gives us, uh, gives us compassion for people. I had a funeral, it's been a few years ago now, and prior to the funeral, of course, I always engage with the family, have conversation with the family about the, the father, the mother, the grandfather, whoever that's passed away, uh, gathering details about that person's life so we can celebrate memories as well as look at the scriptures. And I remember this conversation I had with this uh, daughter about her father's funeral, And she's trying to tell me about her dad and the kind of dad he was and things he loved in life. One of the questions I always ask is, you know, what brought joy? What what brought joy into dad's life? And she was awkwardly trying to communicate stuff to me. And she said, well, there's a, there's like this, well, there's this thing we don't talk about in our family. You know, what's that called? The elephant in the room thing? There's, there's this thing we don't, we don't talk about in our family. And, um. I didn't interrupt her. I was hoping she would tell me what it was. And she did. Dad had spent the last two years of his life in prison. They didn't talk about it. They ignored it. 
But it was troubling to her to come to the end of dad's life and celebrate his life, and there's this, this thing we don't talk about. And I shared with this woman that when my father passed away, he'd been in prison for 12 years. In the last 12 years of his life, I had to go visit him in prison. And she started crying, and she said, you do understand. And so the circumstances that God takes you and me through, part of God's plan, part of God's purpose is that we would have greater compassion for others. Doors of opportunity for ministry that we would never have opened to us. So I need to learn to see those challenges, those trials, those difficulties as part of God's plan to help me (laughs) be more compassionate for others. The seventh thing I put on my list has been a thing for me for a number of years. Pray with people. Don't just pray for people, pray with people. I told you earlier about praying for Phil at the cemetery praying with him and for him uh, there at the cemetery, learning about his uh, kidney function and and being on dialysis. Um, I think I've told you my story about my friend Solomon. Solomon was a retired guy. He was working part-time at the Forest Lawn up in Covina Hills. Um, Tall, thin, African-American man. We just developed a really great friendship. But what cemented that friendship was one time... I encountered him in the lobby at Forest Lawn. And I said, Solomon, how you doing? And I could tell right away it wasn't a good day. He said, I'm not doing too well, Brother Roy. He always called me Brother Roy. And I said, why? What's going on? Well, my, my wife's dying of cancer, and we don't know how much longer she's going to live. And, and I said, well, let's pray for your wife right now. What's her name? Myrtle. And so I grabbed his hands, and we prayed right there in the lobby at Forest Lawn, and uh, all the people around, everything going on. And after I prayed, I said, Solomon, would you let me come to your house? I'd like to meet Myrtle. Can I come to your house and pray for her, pray with her? Brother Roy, you come anytime. (laughs) He's from down south. And uh, so I went to Solomon's home. He opened the door. Myrtle was in a hospital bed in the living room. And... uh, Met Myrtle, held hands with Solomon and Myrtle, prayed for her, prayed for him. And uh, within just a matter of a few days, a couple of weeks maybe, Myrtle passed away. And I was frankly very surprised that Solomon asked me to lead the memorial service. It's quite an experience to stand before two or three hundred people and all the faces except for about six of them are black. And we celebrated Myrtle's life, and we sang, and it was just amazing. But all of that started by praying for Solomon, praying for Myrtle. And so, praying with people. There's an article on the back of your bulletin notes. Ask people how you can pray for them. When's the last time? When's the last time you asked someone if you could pray for them? When's the last time you asked someone, how can I pray for you? That is, that is one of the most powerful questions you could ask. And as this article suggests, it opens doors of opportunity. Most people in the world never hear such a question. It's similar to one of the questions Jesus asked. What do you want me to do for you? Praying, not just praying for people, but praying with them. So what do I want you to do? Kind of my so what. I want you to do kind of the thought process I took myself through. Take inventory. Personal inventory. Take personal inventory. Three questions. Am I truly grateful for the compassion that God has shown to me? 
I hope that's a big yes. I'm grateful for a compassionate God. Amen, Irene. Amen. I'm grateful. Do I reflect His compassion from my life to others? Not always. Not so well. Amen. I need it. You pray for me. Who has God placed near me that I can show His compassion to? who's, Who's in your circle of life that you can show compassion to? Take action. <laughs> take inventory, take action. Um, I wrote to myself, compassion is an action word. It begins within but moves out. What will I do today? What will I do this week? I haven't done this for a while. I've done it here at the church. I've done it in my neighborhood. But just to go walk and pray... To prayer walk around your neighborhood, pray for your neighbors, pray for people, pray for God to give opportunity for you to find some practical felt needs that you you might have the capacity and capability of addressing and helping. Um, Just walk and pray. I've done that around our church. I've ridden my bike in all these neighborhoods and I call that pray riding instead of pray walking. Take inventory, take action. Pray. Confess my lack of compassion. Ask for compassion. Commit to obedience. Try it. Ask someone this week, how can I pray for you? Ask someone this week. Someone at work, someone in your family, someone in your neighborhood. How can I pray for you? Try it. I have to be careful how I tell this story because my wife is watching. Um, My wife has this idea that we have these old uh, VHS tapes. Remember VHS tapes from... But we have a VHS tape of my son's boot camp graduation... Uh, all-star hockey game in high school and his high school graduation, all on VHS tapes. And since we're going to go visit our grandkids in North Carolina, my wife has this idea. We need to convert those VHS tapes to DVDs because nobody has a VCR anymore, right? Except me, I got one. Um, And so I'm looking around trying to find a a business that will convert VHS tapes to DVDs. I found one in Claremont, like, you know, three miles from my house. And so Thursday, I drove over there on my way to another errand, and I saw a sign on the door. And the sign on the door said, closed. And I'm going, it's uh, one o'clock. Why are we closed? Oh, um, I had to go home and take care of my sick wife. Okay, that's a good excuse. (laughs) So Friday, I rode my bike over there and uh, had my VHS tapes and a little backpack on my back. And that sign was not on the door. And I walked in the door with my, with my uh, tapes, and uh, the guy behind the counter is wearing a mask. Of course, I'm wearing a mask, and so this is all we can see. And he says to me, I know you. And I said, you do? <laughs> he says, yeah, I recognize your voice. And I said, how's that? And he says, you married my wife and I. Eight years ago. I said, really? So uh, I reconnected with Anthony, and uh, he reminded me his wife's name is Nicole. And God has blessed them with two little boys, uh, Weston and Ethan. Yeah, Ethan. And so we talked about them and their life and their family and finally got down to business, and I got these three VHS tapes. I need DVD. What's that going to cost? <gasps> that much? Okay, it's for my wife. And uh, she still doesn't know how much it's going to cost, so I'm not going to mention it. Um, And so we did all the business transaction, gave him my VHS tapes, and I got his business card. And before I left, I said, Anthony, can I pray for you and pray for Nicole? Sure. 
And so I prayed right there in the Claremont photo, whatever place it's called, and uh, prayed for he and his wife and uh, their family and just asked God to bless them and to bless his business. He told me he'd been six weeks without any business because they were closed down because of COVID. And uh, after COVID, it kind of slowly came back. Um, and so I prayed for him, prayed for his wife, prayed for his business, his boys, and uh, Hopefully I get to go back uh, Monday or Tuesday and pick up some DVDs. Ask someone this week, how can I pray for you? See what God does. Ask God to make us a family of truly compassionate followers of Jesus. I can be a lot more compassionate than I am. Maybe you just need to be a little more compassionate. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so as we seek to reach a lost world, compassion is a door opener. Compassion provides opportunity for entrance into people's lives. Lord, all of us could be a little more compassionate. Some of us a whole bunch more. And Lord, it's, it's not something we can work up on our own. It's something we can choose to see people as they truly are. We can choose to express compassion and care. We can choose to be a little bit more like Jesus And Lord, I pray that, like Jesus, you would move us with compassion to genuinely care for people around us. People around us are are hurting. People around us have challenges and struggles. We don't know. We don't see. We see the, the external. We see the show that's put on. We don't see the real, the true. And so, Lord, help us just to be willing to ask that simple question. How can I pray for you? And, Lord, I pray that you would open doors of opportunity into family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers. Give us boldness to ask that simple question and then to be willing just to pray, to ask God to bless, to ask God to heal, to ask God to care. Lord, we desire to be those who are chosen of God, holy and beloved, putting on hearts of compassion. Lord, do that in my life. Do that in each of our lives as our prayer together this morning. As we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you just stand as we sing this last poem? Make it a prayer.
Don't forget, avocados, pre-guacamole, are available out in the courtyard. Some of you have been asking about how our search for a new pastor is going. You're getting kind of anxious. Um, we've been at this for a little bit, about eight months, and this isn't unusual for it to take some time. Our job has been posted at uh, several seminary websites, some other websites, churchstaffing.com, if you're interested and want to go see what it looks like. Um, typically, these websites post by date, and so now our job has been posted for about five weeks, I think. Is that right, Tim? About five weeks. And uh, their, plan, their plan assist members helping us with all this. Their plan is to repost it in June when this three-month cycle kind of, that's kind of their plan. Uh, Tim and I spoke with uh, Nathan. Nathan Bryant came and spoke in January, you remember, from Assist. Uh, we spoke to him a week ago, kind of, so what's kind of happening with the job thing and whatever. And he said, we haven't gotten a whole lot of responses, probably less than two dozen, 15 plus or minus. And he said, the thing that's interesting is all the guys that are applying are in their 60s and 70s. And I said, well, we don't need another old guy. We need a young guy. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I just saying all this to encourage you to pray. Um, we're doing what we can on our end. The assist guys are doing what they, they can. But ultimately, it's going to be God's choice. That's our confidence, our faith, and our belief. And so going forward, we're praying and trusting God to bring us together with the right guy at the right time. And until then, say it, Tom. It's me again. It's me again. It's me again. And keep praying. So do that. Let's be people of compassion this week, huh? What do you say?